Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. Before we get to the podcast, a few things just to bring you up to date or in the now or in the know. The second edition of the Cognitive Rampage book will release in January. It's a revision. Uh, we cut some things out, actually. Um, we, uh, I say we because I, I have an editor helping. But um, we cut a lot of things out. We expanded on some theoretical explanations. I changed some verbiage as well uh, based on some new philosophies, right? Because we never just are who we are. And so that's kind of the reason that we are or that we've chose to post a this edition, the first edition. And as we change this edition, making the second edition the only edition available to buy. So this book, if you bought it, will be limited edition because you will never, you won't be able to, we won't print this again. So this is, you can buy this on Amazon right now. It's, I made it just 10 bucks, but it's only available for until January. Then when the second edition comes out, the revision, this book won't be available. You have to buy it used or something like that. So the form that is currently in the cover and everything. So we're doing a new cover um, and plus all the interior changes too. So anyway, um, want to let you know about that. That's January. Now, also, the audio book is going to come out in January as well. Uh, I already recorded this audio book, but since we're doing the revision, I didn't want to put out an audio book that isn't this revision. So the first audio book will also come out in January, and I do, I do read it myself. And what's different about it, what's kind of neat, I think, uh, I didn't plan on it, but uh, as I'm reading the book, I kind of go off on little tangents about left fields of things. So I kind of personalize it a little bit, almost kind of like a podcast. So if you're listening to audiobook, it may sound like that every once in a while, but not too much. I don't squirrel off too much. But um, yeah, so the audiobook's a little different. That'll be out in January, but the audiobook will be the second uh, edition uh, that I'm reading, not this edition. But yeah. Also, some people already know that I am a mental trainer, if you will. You know, I am a trained mental health counselor, uh, but because I decided not to follow their state rules and guidelines in the way that I try to help people, I chose not to get licensed, which is some bullshit anyway. And well, look, if you got it, you got it, right? But anyway, <clears throat> I chose not to do it that way. So I started specializing in mental training with athletes, you know, high performance athletes. Not necessarily the Mr. Miyagi, if you will. I'm not training you in the ring, right? That's your coaches, uh, that's your trainers, et cetera. That's their job. For me, as a trained mental health counselor, what I help do is help athletes keep their life balanced outside of the gym, outside of the ring. Because when you're a high performance or a competing athlete, your life is different. Your schedule is different. It calls for a much more hectic time schedule, eating schedule, training schedule, et cetera, et cetera. So to keep your, you know, the ones that you love in your life, essentially, because they feel the effect, right? So it's a, it's keeping that balance because think for one minute that if you're a high performance, let's say MMA athlete and you step into the ring and for a minute you're thinking about your bad marriage or you're thinking about the fight last night or, uh, and I don't mean the fight in the ring, the argument with the wife, right? So, you know, or you're worried about your kids or something like that. We can use that sometimes as drive, sure, but that's more like pumping up, right? Uh, so I work on keeping that balanced, not how to block that out either, not some magical voodoo, 
you know, block it out of your mind. It's about keeping that balance, keeping it right. And I call it pure focus potential. So when an athlete can be involved in whatever high performance sport or competition that they're in, it becomes pure focus potential on the task that's hand, the training that's been handed down that you've worked hard for. And your mind doesn't wander into these real life situations that truly affect us, you know, and affect our thoughts, our emotions. They're called automatic thoughts. And that's what athlete training is. So that's if I'm basically in a camp, really. I call it camp coaching if I'm in your camp as you're building up to a fight, right? So a lot of high-performance athletes understand that kind of difference now, right, of having a mental coach in your trainer really helps. So I just focus differently, not so much in the ring, right, but out of it. But you can go to adamlowry.com. That's the website where you find the podcast and everything else. Go to adamlowry.com, scroll to the bottom, or go to mental training, and you can book a mental training session with me. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be a high-performance athlete for me to be a coach in your camp, because there's two other things I do. One, I just call mental training. It's 30 to 60 minutes. You choose that. I call you. And we talk about various aspects about being an athlete and how that relates to you personally, how that affects your mood, how it's affecting your life, right? And I can give you tools, strategies, and we're not just going to talk about a lot of motivational hype and fluff going to give you actual strategies that they taught me as counselors right that you can implement in you just like a fighter would right Uh, or a trainer anything else you learn strategies you implement in your life you see what works for you that's what i do on that 30 60 minute mental training session right and i'm going to call you directly or there's something i call mental recovery and this becomes important on so many levels right um i have if i just say i found it if you will what i call athletes depression and i mean that as a real diagnosis not diagnosis not a reference and i believe many athletes are misdiagnosed as they leave the sport either by injury age or by force and they experience these things and many times they face misdiagnosis of adhd and uh, bipolar especially too over time but i really challenge that and I say it's a different ideology if you've been an athlete since you were a child that played for a long time that's a separation which I think really classifies as athletes depression and actually you can go to athletes revelations on Facebook where I created a page to kind of show you and explain what you know more in depth what I mean by athletes depression but you can also book that so I help uh, athletes either cultivate a life beyond the sport that they're either trying to transition out of or even recovery from a loss or an injury and how to uh, get back on track mentally so you can get back in the gym with your coaches doing what you know how to do. So many levels, but adamlowry.com, mental training at the bottom. Third, Dollar Mental Health Club. We're working on a real cool tagline. If you got one, send a comment or something. Um, Check out the Dollar Mental Health Club page. You can go to dollarmentalhealthclub.com. If you think of a cool tagline or something that you like how it sounds, send it to us. But... Anyway, we're coming back in January. We ran the alpha test from June to September. We're going to drop the beta test starting sometime in January, run it to about March. Slow grind. But we're trying to change the paradigm of mental health. I mean, there's almost 30 million Americans that are uninsured, right? And the last thing they're spending money on is mental health. Even bigger than that is the underinsured. When you have about 30 million underinsured, 30 plus million, that's more like 40, underinsured. Usually it's more of a catastrophic plan and it's not focused on mental health. So what we're trying to do is not bring mental count, mental health counseling. We're not bringing therapy to you, but mental training, which again is bringing you tools and strategies from specialists all around the country to give to you. And it's a dollar a minute and you pick your date, you pick your time, you pick your trainer. 
they call you. I'm telling you, it's a it's a it's a shift, right? Because I when I worked in the system and I looked at insurance mazes from the client's perspective and from a counselor psychologist perspective, the paneling is crazy for insurance. It's nuts. So what we're really doing is bringing a new thing, a paradigm shift to mental health that makes it easy to access for people and it's specialized. So it's not just let me book a mental training session. We base it on five major influences of your life, which is personal, relationship, relationship, social, career, and health. Those are the five different sessions that you can book, and they're called target focuses. But it's uh, it's coming. You should see that again in January uh, on the full scale, really. Um, but I won't be a mental trainer on Dollar Mental Health Club. I will not. Um, my sessions, again, are at adamari.com for athlete mental training. <clears throat> that's my specialty. That's where I'm trying to focus on most, uh, why the activism that I do is still an addiction and addiction treatment. Last, drink some Myco tea. Go to drinkmycotea.com. My friend, Alfred, man. Hey, I'm running low, Alfred. I'm running low, man. I'm running low. I need some more, buddy. But seriously, uh, I mix that in my green shake that I make. I try to do it at least once a day, um, most of the week. But instead of the water, I use this because the best part about it I love about it is it's clean water, right? They run it through this whole high-tech Star Trek system of UV something that I'm not a scientist to explain to you. But the pH level comes out of like 2.5. So it's the clear water. Oh, and they add probiotics from organic mushrooms. So, you know, it's sometimes a great way to kind of calm you down. Sometimes I've used it before bed. Sometimes to before starting a day with the shake like I use it. Uh, and I feel more energized, but it, I'm just saying, go to drinkmycotea.com. Uh, I love it. My upcoming guest, Tony Jack the Bear Mans, a brother I love. I do. We've been friends, I don't know, a couple of years now. Uh, he's been around the podcast and been on the podcast, I think, four or five times. And just uh, one of the original members of the Tribe of Change, too. But just an all-around great guy with a great story. And uh, it's just, I know he's fun to talk to. He's invigorating to talk to. Uh, if you, for me, you know, being able to talk to somebody and say, hey, yeah, this is what's happening with me, you know, or this is what's going on with my life. And somebody that responds in a genuine way. Um, but he's one cunty motherfucker that I love uh, to use some words that he would use. So uh, if cuss words bother you, well, Challenge your own perception rather than force others to change theirs. But be aware on this podcast, uh, you're going to hear a lot of that. But uh, behind all that, if you can get by it, you can see uh, a, a guy that I said in the post there that is someone I'm honored to call my friend, someone that genuinely gives a fuck about other people uh, and especially kids. And uh, he talks a lot about kids and music. Uh, he talks a lot about the music business today. You know, so for those of you that are in it, he dropped some serious dimes. And when those that have been in the business and have, you know, got all the accolades, done all that, you, you may want to listen, right? But uh, at least uh, listen with some optimism. But anyway, it was a, a great pleasure to have uh, back on the podcast again, my friend, Tony Jack, the Bear Mance. Oh, man, I am good, brother. I, we, haven't, we haven't chatted in like a, a hot minute, man. It's been a while. You know, just so you know, I went ahead and went live anyway. Cool, man. No, no, no that's cool. I'm uh, I'm all about no safety net, no backup, <laughs> no plan B, no fucking nothing, man. It's just balls to the wall, 
let's just do this shit, you know? Yeah, man. For sure. Well, you were just saying it before I went live, you know, about how I was like, you know, holding out on the podcast. You know, we haven't talked in it, shoot, three months. months. Yeah, it's been a while since we caught up, man. And yeah. uh, uh, you're also live on Facebook, too. And oh, cool. Yeah. Next time we go live, for those of you watching on Facebook, we'll have a monitor so you can hear what I hear in here. So, so how can I put this? How can I put this on my thing right now? How do I how do I sort this shit out? Yeah, if you so just, if you share the link that uh, I shared, it's uh, on the okay, live. Let me see. All right, I can see it. I'm you're live. Let me just go to it, and I'll just go here. Here we go. I'm about to share it to my to my to my fan, and say, "Here we go, fuckers." You recognize Boom. that beat? Hey, if you hear it in the background, can you hear it on Facebook? Do do do. Never heard it, man. Never uh, heard it. Take a walk. Never, no, that, 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 that's not Lou Reed, is it? No, of course not. Wouldn't be that, would it? Couldn't be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Couldn't I mean, be that shit, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, anyway. Ooh, come on, so, Jack. I'm not a singer, man. I worked out earlier that I was not a musician. Singing, performing, you know, I don't have a look at the talent. Behind the scenes is where it's at for me, and uh, thankfully it's been all right so far. <laughs> I'll say, um, yeah, I I think you got to go all the way back to our, our first podcast where I actually listed all of the well, – try not even all. I think I got like a third of the awards and accolades for the music you've mastered and that won all kinds of rewar- awards, man. I mean, you've been doing this forever, man. Yeah, it's been a while. I've been very blessed. I really have. You know, it's a funny thing. Awards. You know, I um, I, I saw this beautiful um quote that Morgan Freeman put up about awards, and he said that um, man makes the award, uh, but God, I think, creates the reward. You know, or music is the reward, and. And awards are beautiful. Look, I don't want to discount awards or trivialize them or, uh, or or sort of play too cool for fucking school. Those things are great. And and they're a beautiful embellishment and they're wonderful in terms of giving you some kind of added credibility in the eyes of people and their perception. However, the the, the mere fact that you can be doing the job you love day in, day out, and really enjoying the process of, of going through it. That really is where it's at. Everything else is just really just gravy. And um, it certainly isn't something that you you just aspire towards because I think that's the wrong reason why you would do anything. It's like, it's like people that do things because they seek validation. They're looking for love. They're looking for something to fill a perceived void within themselves. And I think if you're thinking strictly about awards or there's nothing wrong with wanting to go for goals and aim for things. And I applaud anyone that does that, but, but those things are just extras, Adam, you know, they're, they're just beautiful embellishments to have along the way and they're lovely to have, but you know what? At the end of the day, man, you know, if I was on the street and it's fucking minus 10 degrees outside and I'm fucking freezing those awards, the first things that go on the fucking fire, you know? <laughs> yeah. How many years in, in music, man, has it actually been? Um, well, as, Pretty much for 30, coming up to 35 years now. Oh, man. That's some time. You know, doing, you know, music slash 
entertainment kind of stuff, you know, in, in terms of what I do as a, as a master engineer, as an independent freelance guy, you know, I started my own shop in 1991 during the, uh, the, the recession that, that we had to have, as they called it back in the day. But uh, look, man, it's been an interesting journey. It's been a lot of fun. Um, right now, I'm just very excited about the fact I'm going through a transitional phase. Um, you know, I've still got studio. It's great. It's, you know, it still amazes me that in this current climate where music is so tough and competitive and budgets are shrinking and it's, it's, a, it's tough. It's really tough and a lot more people out there doing it. Um, it humbles me that still to this day, I can still do this. But I'm transitioning now, man. Not, not that I'm leaving this. This will always be here. But, you know, my my passion right now is just wanting to reach out to kids, inspire kids, particularly artistic, creative kids, and um, inspire them and encourage them to pursue their creative, artistic endeavours because society right now is, you know, I think for a long time culturally we, we haven't really – um, encourage kids to become artists. It, for the most part, it's looked at as a hobby, a great side interest, but not as a legitimate job, career option. And look, no doubt about it, it is tough. It is not easy going down this path, but it is very rewarding. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of kids get shoot themselves in the foot because they give in to pressures from parents, peers, society telling them, you know what, you need to get a job, you need to get a nine to five to get your regular three squares a day on the table. And then if you have time and money left over, then fine, you know, go ahead and you know have this as a great little side interest. But when you identify as a creative artistic person, you, you just don't jive with this idea of a nine to five. You, you're gonna have to do some of it along the way. As I tell a lot of kids, I I had to hold down side jobs until I was 40 years of age before I got my business to a critical mass where I could say, I don't need to do this extra work now and I can focus entirely on my mastering business and the music stuff. So, you know, that's, I think, is a non-negotiable part of the deal. You know, of course, there are some people that can get in very early if you're exceptionally talented or, um, you know, you're just having a great streak of luck, which is going to be your responsibility anyway. Um, You know, it can be done. Um, But right now for me, Adam, it's about inspiring kids and telling them, look, you can do it. It It is possible. And you owe it to yourself and the world to just go out and do what you fucking love because that is everything. Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of times, you know, especially in a lot of education systems, you know, music has been one of the first things to go in the United States system. Uh, I don't know how it is in Australia, but the I mean, they cut music from many, many schools and departments. It's one of the first departments they cut. And yeah, it's uh, it's no different here. Sorry, go on. No, I was just saying there I was finishing up. It's really disappearing. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. Uh, it's true here, and uh, in this government here, particularly, uh, which is a more conservative government, uh, not as much about funding the arts as uh, you know the previous government that we had before. Um, and so, again, that's just a reflection on the value that mainstream society places on it. Uh, so, you know, but art in general, not just music. I mean, I'm, just, I'm talking about art in general, whether you do ballet, whether you're a sculptor, whether you paint, you're a writer, whatever. But, you know, which is almost sickening in a way, because 
as a mass majority, in some fashion, most of our getaways or hobbies involve the arts in some fashion, right? Whether it's movies, music, or whether we do it or we like going to it. And but yet it's the thing we educate less and that we make, um, you know, not a path, you know, for education as it is the assembly line creation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think also culturally where we're not, um, you know, Australia as a culture and the context of the world is is a very, very it's very, very young. Um, now, if you look at uh, Europe, let's take Germany, for example, you know, go to Berlin. And I've never been there myself, but I know a lot of people that have and I'm reasonably familiar with how it operates there and the government are supporting artists they allow them to do their craft there there's there's subsidies and and it's valued and and hence why over the last 10 years or so maybe more there has been uh, it's become a bit of a mecca for artists around the world musicians to go there they can actually survive i mean i've got a friend who's a, a dj over there and he tells me he only has to do two gigs a month and he gets by Two gigs a month, man, you know, and he can get by over there and, and, and he has a, you know, a, a relatively comfortable lifestyle. I mean, that's his break even, okay? And, of course, above and beyond that, there's more than two gigs a month for him. So he's living beautifully, and, and I think that's a, a, an ideal situation. But, again, this is Europe, man. You know, Europe have a much longer history than what we have over here, and, and art is something that they appreciate more. So maybe over time it will change, man. I mean, we won't be around to see it, but... We'll do our best in the meantime. Yeah, I mean, you see the internet being utilized a lot for creative, you know, people getting their message, getting their art, getting their talent out there. You know, you see the shows doing that. Um, but, you know, where you work in the back end of music actually requires a little bit more of a specific education, right? So, I mean, so there's no path necessarily to that, right? Over here, you got to go to some specialty, you know, um, music school, which can be expensive as shit. Like back when I, I almost went to one, and then I priced it and I said, I could buy my whole soundboard and studio for the same cost, you know, to go to those schools. But, you know, if that's worked into natural education or free education, whatever, you know, yeah. I wonder what could be created nowadays, you know? Yeah. What we've lost here is the old system of the master and apprentice um, situation and, um, and the internship where you would, uh, you know, get yourself in the studio and soak in the actual environment. Now, there is a lot of formal education that has been for a long period of time. Um, and it's interesting you raised this point because I'm going to drop a video on Friday speaking about that. And what I will be doing is, um, you know me, man, I'm a positive guy. I, I don't like to shit can people. I'm, I would rather just put forth. I think it's, one, it's great to criticize something, but unless you can at least put forth an alternative, even if you're fucking wrong and well off the mark, that's, that's far better than sitting back and throwing pot shots at people or at a system or at a philosophy. And people are very quick to become armchair experts and just fucking throw their shit at stuff because it's easy. You know, it's like, okay, well, you've identified something. Okay, motherfucker, what's the alternative? Give us something. Put something on the table that we can look at and we can scrutinize because maybe you might have something. And if it's wrong, well, it doesn't matter. At least it's something that's considered. So this Friday, I'm going to drop a video just talking about that topic, about formal audio education. And I'm not against audio, formal audio education. I have been involved in doing some lectures and workshops with some of these places. But where I think the, the system uh, could improve upon 
is it's great to give the kids a theory and understand, you know, the technicalities and all that kind of shit, but they don't give them enough about people skills, which is probably the most important asset you're going to have, man. You need to have people skills. You need to be able to build relationships. This is a relationship economy, as my mentor Brad Burton would say. You know, if people don't get to meet you, like you, know you, and trust you, you can be the greatest talent in the world, have the greatest hearing in the world, have a skill set that is unmatched by anyone. But if no fucker wants to sit in a confined space with you for an extended amount of time for days or weeks and they're not feeling you, man, you're not going to last very long, you know? So teaching about people skills, teaching them about marketing, teaching them about because, man, you know, these schools sell the dream. You know, hey, come on uh, to school and then they put their glossy brochures out there sitting in front of a 40 million input the solid state logic or Neve console, you know, hanging around with Mick Jagger and fucking God knows, you know, Kanye West and whatnot. And not to say that that is impossible. Of course, anything is possible, but the likelihood of that scenario is not that great. And so you get these starstruck kids who sign up 20, 30, 40 K or more to do a course. They walk out with a piece of paper and that paper is nothing. It really is nothing. It tells you that, yeah, you've been very good at being able to memorize a whole bunch of shit and get some stuff right in an exam and do some practical stuff. But when you throw that kid out in the real world and you throw him in the fucking cauldron, How's he going to operate? How's he going to market himself? How's he going to network? How's he going to do the real shit? What, you know, what, how seasoned is he going to be? And so I think the audio, the formal audio schools now, and I'm sure that probably some of them, are, probably they are doing some of it, but I'm only mentioning this because I see a lot of graduates come through wanting to come in. And as far as I'm concerned, man, I don't give a fuck about your degree. I don't give a fuck about your resume. You know, people, you know, Peter Sage would say people hire on resume and fire on personality. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So, and, and I think it's, and I feel it's the same, same way. You know, people come with all this shit and I say, look, no disrespect, kid. I don't care about that. I want to find about you. What are you about? What do you got to bring? What do you have to offer? Where's your passion? Where's your dedication? Where's, where's your spirit? You know, where's your attitude? Because I can take a kid with a great attitude with no qualification, no nothing, and I can turn him into a monster. And I've already done it with a kid called Andre Ehrman who's fucking tearing shit up, 23, 24 years of age. He's a motherfucker. You know, now, mind you, he did come out of a school and he was the ducks of his class, but that's <laughs> it wasn't that that impressed upon me, okay? Right. You, you know, I mean, it, I didn't even care about that shit. I just cared about the fact this kid came up to me demonstrated to me that he actually knew what he was talking about. He actually said to me, listen, I'm into mastering and actually demonstrated to me that he did something of his own shit on his laptop. It wasn't that great, but it didn't matter. The fact is that it wasn't just sweet talking me because that's a lot of kids do. Oh, I'm really into mastering. Oh, you got no idea. It's my life's fucking purpose. Blah, 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 blah. It's, it's the classic love you, baby, need you, baby. I'll do anything, whatever it takes to get into your fucking pants. Yeah. Yeah. Not interested in that shit, man. But anyway, I think, you know, as I said, I'm not one who wants to shit can formal education, any schools, any of those institutions. But I think that if there was a greater emphasis and focus on giving these kids some direct exposure in studio environments or 
teaching them about the importance of people skills, relationship skills, marketing themselves and setting themselves up to run their own shop because that's where most of them are going to end up, man. They're going to end up as freelance operators. So let's get these kids um, educated in as to how they can get themselves set up and empower them that way and also work on their mental aspect, you know, the, the, the mental aspect, man. And, and the other thing too is belief in what they're doing, you know, the, the self-esteem. It's one of the big things I talk about, man, is, is, is about the importance of having a healthy self-esteem and the belief in yourself, man, because if you can't feel it, that you are ready and you are worthy of doing this shit, no one else is going to buy into it. Yeah, and there's got to be a, a fine line I'm imagining between, you know, the personality that you create, right? Because, you know, a lot of young kids are inundated with this arrogant, this is who I am, this is my ability, I'm a big star, and then try to put on this persona. And either, like you said, no one will work with them, no one wants to talk to them, but trying to cross that line between, you know, performing in that way, following that passion, being confident, but also, you know, being humble enough, right, to, to kind of learn and grow. Yeah, man, humility is everything. Um, I was very fortunate as a youngster that I got to meet some of the greatest engineers on the planet. And uh, if there's one great lesson I learned from that, it's this, man. It's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And to have these motherfuckers open their door to me as a kid, they had no reason to want to see me. I mean, you know, guys who would be fucking working with the Rolling Stones one day and Madonna the next day and just luminaries of the industry. And yet these guys were so fucking grounded, so down to earth, did not define themselves as their job. You know, these were just these guys who just love what they did, had a passion for it, uh, were grateful every day in the fact that they were doing it and never, ever took that shit for granted, man, and were just beautiful. I mean, Rick Essig, my main mentor at, um, at um, oh, fuck, what's the name of that? Frankfurt Wayne in New York City, who uh, taught me how to cut vinyl. And he said to me, um, hey, man, 80% of this job is bullshit. <laughs> To which I just looked around and, what do you mean? And he said, mate, it's a this is a service industry. This is a service industry. And you need to know how to take care of people, look after them, make sure that all their needs are met, and just love the fuck out of them. And that is going to get you further than anything else. And Rick was a fucking master, a master of that shit, man. I learned so much from that guy. He encouraged me to go out there, do my own thing. And he just practiced what he preached, man. And I'll always be grateful to him. Always be grateful to him, man. Because he he catapulted me and gave me that belief that I could go out and do my own thing, which I did. So, uh, Rick, I love you. I will always love you, man. Thank you so much. Well, I think that's important, man. You bring up, you know, that mentorship, that teaching. And a lot of artists, you know, that do make it tend to get a little more isolated as if, like, it's my time, it's my record, it's my album, it's my, I wrote it. Instead of that mentorship idea of going, hey, as I'm coming along, you know, let me teach someone else. Let me find other artists even, right, and kind of teach as, as they grow. I mean, you still see that mentorship happening in, in like, today's younger generation of music? Uh, yes, look, I do. I think there is a lot of people on the ground level here um, doing it, um, helping artists um, just because we don't see them online. I mean, I go out there online, I'll fucking, you know, beat my fucking chest and carry on. 
but it, it, it does happen. It does happen, and it's encouraging to see. Um, I, I just think, unfortunately, for um, a lot of young kids, um, they're, I, I think that they're, they're in a bit of a rush to want to monetize things and get things up and running really quick, and it, it just takes time. Like I said, man, it took me 21 years before I got to a point where I got to that level of a critical mass where I didn't need to do any other job. I think it's a non-negotiable. You're going to have to do some other shit on the side. But uh, I think mentoring is, uh, is is in a healthy state. I think it's going to get bigger and better. That's something I certainly want to promote more and more of because I was a great beneficiary of that, man. You know, I had some of the best guys in the fucking world who were willing to offer me advice and input, no sense of, you know, we have these certain fucking secrets or proprietary techniques or any of that very open, very willing to share. And so for me, in terms of what I'm doing, man, it's just paying forward that courtesy that was given to me. And, uh, and so now at you know, 53 years of age, uh, you know, I have a wealth of experience now and uh, I have a se- I feel this sense of duty and obligation to, uh, to share the knowledge and help these kids, not just with the technical aspects of it, but also in terms of the life aspects of it. You know, just, again, show them, demonstrate to them how you run a session, how you deal with people, how you serve others, how to remain humble, how to, you know, keep working at your craft and always get better at it because you're always going to be learning. And you know what, dude? Some of these motherfuckers, these young fucking upstarts, man, have been my greatest teachers. I'll tell you now, young Andre here, has come in and shown me some things that have now actually become part of my workflow that I never would have thought of because kids now are embracing more technology. You know, back in the day, it was very analog. I still work in the analog domain predominantly. But these kids now who are very tech savvy coming along and showing me a few bits and bobs, some great nuggets of fucking knowledge that have now become part of my workflow, you know. So, Part of being a mentor is great to sort of go, yep, you know, here I am with all the fucking knowledge, yada, yada, but also being open enough to listen to these kids too and take on board what they have to say because they got some shit. They got shit too. They got some great shit here as well. Yeah, dude, you're right on, man. I I couldn't agree more is is learning from those that you're helping along the way. You you did mention something, though, um, earlier when you were talking about not letting what they do define them. And, uh, you know, just like I talk about athletes, I think musicians and people in the industry are very much the same to where they get this title of singer or, you know, producer, recorder. And, you know, how do you help or how would you help a kid or even a, an artist today kind of keep separate, not defining, not being defined by what they do? Um, I've been saying this for a very long time and I say this to kids. Um, understand this. Character is who you are reputation is what people think you are and they're very they're two very separate concepts man so um understand that first and foremost you're a human being with the same feelings fears insecurities as anyone else and you just happen to be privileged enough to be doing something that you love of course that is a part of your identity and identity is very powerful um but by the same token um i think if you take on the reputation upon yourself and think you are that reputation, which is a perceived thing, um, that can be a slippery slope. And, mm. and you can see how it happens to 
athletes after their careers. I mean, how many times we hear about NFL players going broke, becoming alcoholics, drug addicts, homeless, you know, guys who have made 20, 30, 40, 50 fucking million dollars. We have an epidemic here in Australia, musicians, uh, you know, who were famous back in the day now, washed up and broke. We now have this epidemic of electronic artists who are huge international DJs, successful guys rocking stadium, 20, 30 fucking thousand people at gigs. And now so many of them are just crawled in out of nowhere, hitting the fucking pipe, you know, just tragic, mate, fucking tragic because they, they, they took on that thing of like, oh, you know, I'm, the, I'm this person. And now all of a sudden, no more adulation, no more love and no more groupies and no more free drugs and all this kind of shit. So I just tell kids, just remember, you know, who you are as a person, first and foremost. It's a privilege to be doing this and don't allow yourself to be swept up in all the bullshit. Like I said, man, I saw that as a kid from some of the greatest fucking engineers on the planet. They were grounded, they were humble, they were aware of who they were, they understood the responsibility behind what they were doing, excited about what they were doing, but at the end of the day, man, you know what? They were just regular fucking blokes doing their thing. And did most of these guys, the you know, the the classic masters, man, yourself and new kids you see coming up, is it is it kind of like a they have their own style? There's not like a right way to do it as opposed to like they have their own, you know, sound to it, if you will. I don't think, no, this is art, man. There's no right or wrong way. It's, it's your way, and, and that's the way you should do it. I think it's great to be influenced by other people, but ultimately you need to be true to yourself. And, you know, I, I dropped a video that went viral almost a year ago where I talked about this, where here in Australia a lot of artists want to get their stuff. Like getting on radio is really hard, and we have a national broadcaster called Triple J, government-run, uh, the government-run station, but they're national and they're very influential and getting airplay on them can be very helpful. And, you know, I was getting all these artists coming through just wanting, saying, do you think, it'll, do you think we'll get on Triple J? Yeah. Do you th-? And, and I had one week where I had three fucking days in a row of this come to me and I just said, does it really fucking matter? Who cares what Triple J thinks? What do you think? You know, I mean, you're an artist, man. You're not going to make much money, if anything, off doing your art. So you're spending time and energy creating something that you love. Why would you want to try and compromise or second guess what the radio is going to want? And even if you drop something today, who's to say that by the time it gets out there and it gets to the radio, they may be looking for something new. They may be, you know, do you know what I mean? You cannot predict this kind of shit. So just do what you love, love what you do, be happy in what you do. Now, if Triple J happened to pick up on it, that's a fucking bonus. You know, and, and I think there's something contrived about that. Now, if you're an artist who is from the get-go saying, okay, our aim, our goal is we are going to try and create something specifically for this market and that is your gig, then, you know, God bless you, more power to you. But for most people, that's not their thing, mate, you know. So I think it's just important that uh, it's, it, there's no right or wrong way, mate. It's your way. So long as you're enjoying the process and you're being true to yourself, that's all the fucking matters. Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of artists. There's even this thing going on in hip hop, if you will, right now, where it's this. I hate even saying old school, but it's really the. I would call them the the professionals, really, of hip hop, um, are really kind of in this debate with these new hip hop lyricists. Supposedly, lyricists would not be the word. 
uh, I'm biased already, but it's this separation between artists going, look, if the crowd of the masses want me to make a song that sounds like this, I'll do that. Cause then it just does that rather than like this garage band that's just playing their sound, doing their thing that gets, you know, finally, you know, gets hit playing your authentic self. And there's, there's, you know, a new low hanging fruit, you know, only over, I don't know how many years, but there's this low hanging fruit of going viral. You know what I mean? That, that didn't exist until the last, like, I don't know, 10 years or less, you know, where it's probably less than that to where, um, you know, you could put out something and then all of a sudden, holy shit, it's a deal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, man. It's interesting. You, you, you bring up the word authenticity and that's an interesting, uh, interesting work. Cause, uh, as, as I've learned, you know, this, this last year of my life, Adam, has been the most profound year in terms of my growth as, as on an emotional, spiritual level. And, and I've come to a conclusion now, and that is the, um, the meaning of life is to be authentic in whatever you do. And, and authenticity is binary. You know, you cannot try to be authentic because by definition of trying, you're already being inauthentic because you're trying as opposed to just being and just being comfortable in your own skin and where your heart and mind or your heart and your mind are, are aligned and and people pick up on that man it, it, that's a feel thing and it's something that i struggle with for a long period of time because i was for a virtual lifetime man just putting up a a, a, a facade and I, I became so good at it but i'd always get frustrated and go fucking hell you know i've, I've said the right things i thought i'd do this and and why is it that I'm just not getting the, all the gigs I want to get? And and then once the, I had the revelation, I realised, well, I wasn't being authentic. And and people can look at you in the way you deal with them and they, and they think, yep, it all looks and sounds good and it's all fucking presented well, but there's going to be a little something there that maybe you can't define, but it's just enough to put you off. And that's because your head is saying one thing, yeah, and your heart is saying, hey, motherfucker. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, and it's an energetic thing. And people pick up on that, man. You know, I mean, people crave authenticity, but people find it hard to be authentic because they, they just can't accept themselves for who they are. They don't love themselves enough to say, look, I'm a, I'm a unique expression of life. There's nothing fucking wrong with me. And we've been conditioned that way, bro. And, and again, this is why uh, this is one of the main messages I want to get out to kids you know, is to be your authentic self and, and love yourself enough to realize you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely hard in the world, uh, on two sides that, you know, in the entertainment business being almost having to be more authentic, right. More outstanding, uh, if you will, you know, wear the hair a little higher, the, the clothes a little louder, you know, there's almost this inauthentic push to be louder, to be seen, to get noticed, you know, rather than, you know, somebody just, I don't know, just kind of making it based on their love for the the music, being who they are, rather than playing all these, you know, certain tricks. And there's, you know, from even self-help to music, you see all these how-tos, these, you know, just follow it this way and you'll make a hit record, follow it this way and you'll get rich, follow it this way. And everything will be better in your life. And I just don't think that's possible. You know, I think because we live something so authentic to our own perception that, you know, to say these are the steps too, almost filters your authenticity out along the way in, in some fashion. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, um, I've, I've been taking an interest in personal development for a while now and probably the last year or two, 
I've really delved into it quite deeply. And I've been very fortunate that I've been uh, mentored by a guy called Peter Sage, um, who is all about the authenticity. And it's interesting, you know, when you go and see someone speak at a seminar, how you feel that person on stage when they're speaking from their heart, you know, they're, they're, they're speaking their truth. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with everything they're saying, but you feel it as opposed to the people that are there, very, very polished in their performance, well rehearsed and, and all that kind of thing, man. And, you know, I've, I've, the more I've been looking into personal development, the more I'm, I'm feeling that so much of it, man, is just bullshit. You know, I think it's well, there's well meaning in it and, you know, but it personal development, the way I see it is, is based on a premise that tells you that you're fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And that you need to be yeah. f- fixed. Or optimized. Yeah. You don't need to be fixed. Motherfucker. You're fine. You're absolutely fine. And so they're going to come up with all these fucking different courses and gobbledygook and don't forget about the upsell. You know, I was like, hey, man, you know, I've I got no problem with people monetizing their shit because a lot of guys, they go out, they, they spend a lot of money doing courses and they study. And so, man, I have no problem with people monetizing their shit. But it's just that classic fucking upsell that you see. And, again, just based on this thing that, well, you know, Here's something for you, but if you want the real shit, come over here and fucking, you know, do this and do that, you know. But, again, uh, until they start with – and this is what I loved about Peter, man. This is what I so loved about Peter because Peter started off with saying, there's nothing wrong with you. Just let's 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 get this out of the way. You were born a miracle. You were fucking perfect. You were 14 million to one fucking chance of being here. You've already won the race. You've got nothing else to prove, fucker. So go out there and find your gift and share it with the world. And so teaching, you know, helping me and others how to facilitate a process to find that and go out and do that as opposed to, you know, you're fucked up. You are your story, your previous story. Let's fucking try and mend all the pieces together. So fuck that shit, Adam Larry. That's that's bullshit. You know, the industry needs a fucking shake-up. You know, so many people are in this fucking industry, and I don't want to say I'm part of that industry, but in the personal development game because they are seeking validation themselves. They feel the fucking void within themselves, and so they need people to come up to them and say, oh, you're so fucking wonderful. Oh, you're fucking, you know, preying upon the vulnerability of many people. Yeah? Rather than fucking, let's let's empower you. Let's fucking get rid of the fucking story. Get off your victim story. This is all fucking bullshit. It's the past. It's happened. It can't come back to fucking hurt you unless you decide that you want it to hurt you more or because you feel comfortable in that fucking space. And, the, you know, and I, the more I look into it, the more I see that kind of shit and I reject it, man. Yeah, well, reject- we can't take you that far, but if uh, you're going to have to upgrade to the platinum membership and then we can let you in on, you know, the eight secrets that you have to do uh, daily, every eight seconds per day, uh, eight times when you're doing the eight activities. Of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're, I get what you mean about the upsell. And uh, frankly, I, I see it. It's in it's everywhere. And I'm, I'm with you. And it's hard to begin to separate between eventually. Is this the product or is this the passion? You know what I mean? Is this? 
Is this a creative way of a team that's been assembled to pitch a product in a much more, uh, let's say, cerebral way? As a, you know what I mean? As a, as opposed to, you know, really bringing something authentic, right? Yeah. Look, man, I, I can understand where the, there's so much to learn and you can go balls deep into learning. And it's like with anything, you know, there's, there's, there's basic stuff you start with. And then if you want to go down a, a deeper line of inquiry, then you can. And, but I think it's just the way it's done. It's not so much about what is there. It's just it's just the way it's done, the way it's presented. You know, there's a lot of fucking psychology that goes into a man. You you see how they run, you know, seminars where they fucking break people down and 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 you know, there's a lot of fuckery that goes on. A lot of fuckery and people well, aren't you, aware you of said, it. You said, you said something important about the way it's approached. You know, I, I talk about in my book, right, is if you're if let's say you're about to buy a new Corvette and you're out there and all of a sudden you're going to see an influx of Corvettes. No, that didn't happen in your town. You're just looking for it. And I, I think I even use the example. You go on a date and you're really looking for love. Right. And oh, my God, we ordered the same thing. We like the same drink, even though the menu only had two choices. Right. And you're, you're looking for it. And so if you're looking for something and you're open to that looking for anyway, we basically find what we're looking for anyway by creating that perception. You know, and I'm with you that some people, you know, offer great help and good ideas. And I'm with it that there is no necessarily one path to to how you do it. And there's a lot of voices, different things catch with people. You're right. But after a while, you do start to get to see this. You know, I, I reference it to a day, um, the day that CDJs came out. At one point, there were DJs and those DJs spun records and they sent them to guys like you to cut them. And you know what? We always send them to Europe because you guys cut it. Was it like a diamond cut you guys used? And and uh, that was more Europe, not Australia. But I can't can't remember, man. It was a long time ago, many drugs ago. But anyway, and then all of a sudden the CDJ was invented, and everyone was a fucking DJ. You know what I mean? And yeah. it lost its its I don't know talent. You had to work at something. You just match, sync, and press play, right? Mm-hmm. And you see well, that I, I've compared that now to what you're talking about in personal development is everyone has their blog, their brand. And I'm guilty. I'm the fucking dude. Like, and I know it. I say that with awareness. And you see that, but I feel like I was spinning vinyl and then all of a sudden CDJs came out at some point. And it's like, holy shit, man. And you're you're proud of people. You're like, holy shit, you know, it's great. And I learned so much from so many people. But you're right. You can dive down those rabbit holes. And what I've told, I've, I've spoke to a few people doing some uh, mental training on the phone is like, look, the deeper you go, you have to be aware. You also can begin to get really alone because you start to be aware of things that people you hang out with or not. You start to care about things and other things in your life drift away. You know, I talk about it. It's almost like becoming this lone wolf. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're as you go down those those rabbit holes of those, you know, changing your beliefs, awareness it's a real lone wolf thing, man. And it be, it comes real. It's a difficult, you know, path to walk. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you, man. And look, there, there's different, a lot of people, like you said, and, and I'm just as guilty as you, man. I, I just do my blog and I do my thing and it, it all, I guess, falls under that personal development, um, you know, umbrella, if you will. Um, but, um, but man, I, I, I like to think that at least, what I'm putting out there is it's heartfelt, it's honest, and it just simply is. 
I see myself more, to be honest, as a storyteller, Adam. I'm just telling my story. I'm just sharing my experience and offering things for people to consider. They don't have to believe what I'm saying. They don't even have to do what I'm saying. But they could try and test it out for themselves because when I started shifting in terms of my mindset and, uh, and got down to some fundamental basic things, which all starts with there's nothing fucking wrong with you and you're perfect and you're a divine expression and you're beautiful and you do have a gift that the world wants to fucking you know, experience and you just embrace that first from that foundation, man, then you can start doing shit. And people align with that, man. You know, people, people want to hear more of that. People want more honesty. People want to hear not just about, you know, it's great to be able to say, well, come to my seminar because, you know, I made a trillion dollars three nanoseconds after my dad shot his load into my mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that for yeah. some people can be very fucking intimidating, man, because they look at someone like that and just go, the fuck, how, how do I compare myself to that? How, how do I ever even get near that shit? That, you know, that, that's like jumping over Everest fucking sitting on your ass. Right. Yeah, without even swinging your arms. Yeah. So as opposed to not to say that you can't be successful and show some success, but also about how about your failures, man? Tell us about how you fucked up. Tell us about because that's where the lessons in life are, man. That's where it's in your darkest hours. You know, that's uh, the value is in the valley. So when you're in that shit hole of a place where things aren't going great, where you've lost a heap of money, you've lost a relationship, you've fucked up. You've absolutely fucked up where most people are wanting to gloss over that, not share that shit because of feelings of shame or feeling as if, well, you know, if I start talking about the fact that, you know, I uh, embezzled money or I spent all this shit or I spent all my money on Coke and hookers or I cheated on my wife or I blew all this fucking cash or ripped off this, whatever, whatever you fucking done, man, you know, no, you know, nobody's got the monopoly on pain and nobody has a fucking halo over their fucking head, yeah? And the minute you can own that shit and tell people, hey, I fucked up, this is where I went wrong, but when I started doing this or started doing that, started changing my thoughts and my actions, everything else started to change, that gives hope to people because most people come to these seminars already feeling like shit, already feeling guilty, already feeling down, defining themselves by their failures and their non-successes and whatnot in life, looking for fucking answers, man. They're all looking for fucking answers and the answers are in you and that's what you need to be told. you got it all in there inside you, man. You know? And people to be told, I get it. I walked in those fucking stilettos. I know the pain. I know the fucking embarrassment. I know the shame. I know the guilt, yada, yada, yada. But you know what? That's in the rearview fucking mirror, cunt. We're looking forward now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say a lot of the times, if you're constantly growing, right, then we can't know, <clears throat> excuse me, when we can't know who we are. And so to claim to be, you know, authentically who we are, then is truly not to know who we are at any time because we're always growing, changing, learning new things, right? So to claim this authenticity is to claim that we know who we are as opposed to just being that, being in the moment, being in the thoughts you know, the observations of it, you know, and trying to be authentic. And I think because of so much, you know, exposure to songs, music, videos, personal development, people, blogs, I think because of it, 
people are craving authenticity, right? I think somehow people that use YouTube, iTunes, you know, all the Stitcher, these things to listen to podcasts, whatever, and shows, I think they almost got this really good bullshit filter built up, you know, from all the fake pictures and, uh, you know, images that are fucked up and, you know, messed with. There's like this magical BS filter people seem to have, and they crave this authenticity. You know, they're craving things that are funny, but, you know, kind of real, not set up, right? I mean, there's like a crazy, you know, crave for content that's authentic, people that are authentic, stories that are authentic, even stuff that's authentic, like handmade, authentic stuff, right? I mean, you're seeing this craving for this authenticity, almost as if like we're becoming personal aware for our own craving for authenticity within ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, the authenticity you need to find is your own first, mate. You know, and and then you'll attract more of it in your life. It's uh, it's amazing how, like I said, the last year has been the greatest year of my life in terms of my emotional growth. And as I began to release all of my bullshit, and still I'm in the process of doing so, um, I've been able to attract a, a better peer group because peer group is important too, man. You know, I remember when when Peter talked to me about the people that you hang with. And my immediate response, you know, in my mind was, oh, this sounds a bit elitist. You know, I'm, I'm what, all of a sudden I'm better than you. I'm, you know, right, right. And that was the initial thing. And then eventually I got, you know, I got over that and realized what he was trying to say. And that is that you are, well, Jim Ron, what did he say? You know, you're the average of the five people you hang out the most or words that I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not exactly going verbatim, but it is so true, man. You know, when you hang around a certain kind of person, you are going to, it's going to rub off on you and you will, irrespective of where they are. If they're, if they're guys who are go-getters and they're successful, and they're doing really cool things in life, you know, you will end up like those people. If you're on the other end of the spectrum. Huh? Sorry, man. I, you gave me this huge, where people mess up a lot of times there is they're not hanging out with bad people. Essentially, is they're hanging out with people that they were friends are used to and they're trying to help them. And so like in that, in that brew, if you will, of trying to help somebody that you shouldn't be around is where a lot of people also, I think should be included. You know what I mean? Not, it should, people kind of discard that. Oh, I just try to be in their life to help them out. Well, that's got to include in the five that you average yourself in, you know what I mean? Cause that can anchor your development down too. Yeah. But you can't rescue people either though, Adam, Bam. you know, you can be well intentioned to try and hang out and help people out, but everyone's on their fucking journey, man. You know, and that was and that was a classic thing I did. You know, people that go out and are always trying to help and go out of their way, it's a beautiful and noble thing, no doubt. But in my experience, the most part, it got me into more trouble than 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 anything, because it was no one really wanted to be rescued. It was just my who needed the rescuing. Yeah. I was the one that was needed the rescuing first. You know, and when that was presented to me, that was like, whoa. That was a truth bomb that, that that really shook me to my core, that one. But it was true. And once I got over that, trying to fix everyone else up, how about looking at myself first? How about getting my shit together? You know, and then I come from a place where I can help from an overflow, from my abundance. It's the same thing with love. You know, when it's like the conditional love that people, you know, give each other. You know, I will do for you if you do something for me or you – you 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 complete me, you know all this. You finish my set, and all this kind of bullshit, man. Rather than I love myself, I'm fine as I am. 
I have enough to give from an overflow, you know, and that's what people are attracted to. Mm. A lot of people use the relationship to fill themselves up the rest of the way, as opposed to, I like the overflow idea that you're talking about, you know, that, you know, when we have enough to overflow, we begin to bring people in our lives and, you know, hopefully they're overflowing, right? We, we don't want to be filling other people up. You know, I think that's that, that difference that, you know, between needing somebody and wanting somebody, you know, there's a, yeah. a variation, you know, a stark difference there, I think, in relationships. Yeah, man. I think, uh, again, until we are in a place where we are comfortable in our own skin, we can spend time with ourselves and we can make ourselves our own best friend, then we're not going to be able to contribute fully uh, into the lives of other people because there's no reliance. There's no, you, you don't come from a place of I'm lacking. I have a void and therefore I need you, you know, like a jigsaw piece to, to, to make the picture complete. You're already complete as you are, you know. Mm-hmm. But again, a lot of people really struggle with that. You know, when you tell them, hey, there's nothing wrong with you, you're perfect, you're beautiful. That I see when I talk to kids, it's amazing the look on their face. It's, it, some of them almost cringe. It's like, what do you fucking mean, man? I mean, there's so much self-loathing that they have that they – they find that difficult to accept, but you've got to accept it, man. And until you get to that point where you can embrace it and not just intellectually understand it, I mean, know it to be true. Again, we're talking about the heart and mind aligning together, working as one. You know it, you own it. People see it. They feel it straight away. Yeah, this guy's fucking, he, he, you know, he, he's on it. I believe what he's saying because he means it. He feels it, you know, but Again, man, you've you, you got you to have it in here. You got It's a knowing. It has to be just this, this, this calm knowing that it's true. Not arrogance, not fucking, again, because the arrogance and the putting on the show is, is bullshit, and people pick up on that, don't they? Yeah, man. Uh, this, oh, you, you make, my mind branches out in so many ways, you know, of I think kids are, uh, you know, they're, they're programmed a lot to – judge themselves you know they're they live in a world i think that matches you know they can research competence tools strategies you know what's out there what's real what's not and but i think what comes with that is also having to match the the other force with that if you will and they're inundated you know there's a rise in teenagers uh anxiety teenage anxiety experiencing all the way up to severe anxiety and they're inundated with you're not a complete person until, you know, we're, they're given this checklist is until you have the college degree, until you have this, once you've made a hit album, once you've sold a million copies, once you've, well, you know, pick it. And so they, they give them so many checklists and us as adults, individuals, we have these same checklists of, you know, here's my bucket list of things I have to do, shit I have to buy, experiences I have to have. As we build these checklists in our lives, we pass them down to our kids, which is performance based. And I think a lot of people, you're so right, Tony, man, is they go, I can be happy when once I perform and I get this checklist, once I've had this travel experience, then, then, then. Right. And we live our lives by this checklist of to do and then we'll be. And I think many people do, especially kids. You're right, because they're exposed to so much marketing and the let's face it, the real idea of marketing. And like you said, right. For personal development is to say, Hey, you're not fully you. 
from prescription pill commercials to personal development book sales, right? It's telling you that you're not full. You got to buy this Corvette. You got to have this house. You got to travel to Rome at least once. Here's the experience of college, right? They give you a checklist of these things that until you've had this, you've never had life so good, right? And yeah. I mean, it's yeah. built from everything from tennis shoes to everything. Marketing is basically that telling you your life is not complete until you have my product, my thing, my way. And the kids are killed with it, right? I, I don't think there's anything left on the planet that it has not been branded or marketed somehow, you know, in some way. And so the kids apply that to themselves and they even brand themselves. You know, I'm learning disabled. I'm uh, uh, ADD. I, um, I'm a creative, right? They, whatever, they label themselves. It's inundated, man. And it's a tough world out there to begin to separate yourself from who you really are at a young age. And even as we get older, man, as our identities change, as we become fathers or husbands or even widows and sad shit, right? As this happens, our, our ID transfers. It becomes, it, it's such a, a chaotic but yet perfect symmetry of things we know will happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And you're spot on about that whole idea of the checklist and where people need to get to a certain point that so-and-so, that Mr. You know, Mr. Apple or Mr. fucking whoever tells them, you know, you've got to have this, you've got to be this, you've got to have, you know, this kind of car and this kind of wife or husband and live in this neighbourhood. And but then, But then the thing is, okay, so you get that. Then what? What's next? There's always going to be something. It's, why is it that guys who make a million dollars will never be happy with a million dollars because they need to have another two or three million in case they lose one? You know, I mean, you've got, dude, I jumped in, uh, jumped. I bumped into a guy, you know, recently, very wealthy, very successful guy, and you could see it in him, man. He's just unfulfilled. He just feels like he needs more and more and more rather than just being happy in where he was and where he was at. Let me share you a beautiful metaphor that Peter Sage told me, and, and I, I've racked my brain to try and find something similar, but fuck me, he's nailed on this one, where he talks about the curse of the white rabbit. Now, I gather you guys have greyhound racing over in America? Yeah, they're still doing some shady places around the corner, around the train track somewhere. Yeah, okay. Well, okay, so these dogs are chasing a white rabbit that they're never going to fucking catch, and all those things, fame, fortune, money, girls, what have you, is that white rabbit. Now, of course, the, 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 the sport, the game, if you will, is set up that these dogs will never catch that fucking thing. But the dogs don't go away at the end of every meeting and say, fuck this, I'm not going back next week because I can't catch the bastard. Right? Yeah. They're just happy fucking running because that's what they were born to do. That's what they're here for. That's their purpose in life. And so once you find that purpose... It doesn't matter then about awards and fucking, we, we, you know, we touched on this before early on about awards and shit. It's not about that stuff, man. It's just about the fact that you are here doing what you love doing. You're in the moment and being present, just, you know, indulging in your passion. And, and they don't sell that ideal to people. They're not saying that you're good enough doing that, that it's fine. You're, you're okay and you, and you find the way you are. You know, so by putting all this external shit rather than putting the the um, the focus on the internal, and you know, because it all starts in there, man. Because you know, your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. So if your inner world is not, you know, in in a good place, or you're not generating, you know, healthy, positive thoughts about life, and that's not to say it's this bullshit, positive all the time, fucking. 
delusional kind of shit. But, but on the whole, man, you, you just are cultivating good, positive thoughts. Then that is going to be reflected back to you like a mirror. That's how it fucking works. The ancient traditions talk about this from thousands of years ago, man, but they don't promote this stuff. For the most part, they don't. You know, it's like we're seeking validation externally. We're seeking our joy externally. And it's this this fucking situation where you'll never get there. And so you'll never be fulfilled. And you will just go to your grave being unhappy, always finding something that you're going to be completely unhappy about, never, ever once stopping to take an inventory of what you have to be grateful for where you are and what you have in life. Even if it's just as basic as the fact that, you know, you've got a body that is fucking sound and you don't need breathing apparatus when you get up in the morning and you can chew food and you can see the sunset. I mean, I know these may seem like very small, trivial things, you know, but, man, you end up, you, you go to hospital bed and be encased in fucking plaster for six months and then fucking talk to me about it. Not that I've been in that situation, but you know what I mean. It's just, it's, it's, it's about, it's just about perspective. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell people, look, if you take for just a second, imagine any checklist, either one that you have from the day or this, you know, a lot of people in the United States got this house checklist, right? It, you buy the house, either you custom built it already or it's add-ons, right? It's Home Depot weekends. It's remodel, right? They have this checklist. Imagine it's your house or imagine it's your career or a checklist of things and you just immediately remove the checklist and watch how there's all of a sudden no stress. If you go, if you go, all right, I don't have to have this. I don't have to experience this. And in America, they've gotten really good in marketing about getting the idea of buying stuff. They really started pulling that. They got more on the idea of have this experience. You got to have this experience, this experience, and people tap into now that, yeah, I need experiences like that to call my life fulfilling. And again, it's just another secretive checklist helped built subconsciously by a marketing force that makes most of us feel like we're inadequate just unless we buy their thing. Yeah. Memories and experiences, man, that's my currency. You know, I, uh, I came into the world fucking butt naked. I'm going to check out pretty similarly, man. You know, if there's anything I leave behind, that's great. But... You know, I think as I get older, I've just always said, I just want to be able to recall beautiful memories, beautiful experiences, beautiful relationships with people. And interesting how that shit, it's all intangible, you know. And, and I mean, yes, okay, you could say, well, I had to spend a certain amount of money to go to Cancun and have a great holiday for sure. But for the most part, it's not just the acquisition of material things. You know, it's, it's about just nice dinners with friends great conversations like we're having right now, you know, and, and having that recorded and captured that not that I'm going to sit back and I'm going to fucking sit and play it over and over. I'm not that narcissistic, but you know what, the, but it's going to be there. And maybe one day I will, who knows, maybe I will want to relive that, but by doing that and what does it cost? Fuck all. Yeah. I Fuck figured all. if I can compile a good enough library, if we ever do reach the transpersonal age, right. Where I can, uh, upload consciousness. If I do lose my mind, at least I can always download all of my interviews that I ever had with everybody and at least have that little bit of knowledge to, to go on for a while. Yeah. 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 So listen there, Adam, you're going to have to forgive me, man. I don't know how long we've been going, but I've got to, um, I've got to go off and do some work and shit, man. But, um, yeah, man. I'm, uh, I'm I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to uh, chat with you. It's always a pleasure, and I love the fuck out of you, man. Thank you so much.
No, I love you too, brother. And um, let's not wait three months next time before we chat, man. No, you got it, man. You got it. Well, uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you again. Thank you to uh, anyone that uh, took the time to check us out today. And uh, and as I always say to people, mate, uh, be nice to each other, but more importantly, be nice to yourselves. All right? Oh, dude. Love it, man. See ya. Love, love you, fucks. Take care of yourself, bro. Bye. Later, dude. That is one guy that uh, I love, man. He, um, him, and I have shared some good conversations, some personal stuff, you know, um, between each other. You know, we've um, checked. I'm gonna try something. Hold on, man. we're still watching. I'm gonna try to do this post show live thing. Oh, love. Why is uh, live's always love, right? When you're doing the thing, well, we beep it, and so you can go live in there. And in here, we are a post show cognitive rampage live. Um, Jack and I, we've talked so many times, we're able to almost finish like thoughts because we've we've explored for hours sometimes, um, you know, different ideas, especially when I was writing my book because you know he's over in Australia, so the nighttime, you know, over here, so I'd be up certain times and we'd expand on certain experiences and you know, theories or ideas, and uh. You know, so sometimes when we're chatting, if it sounds like we're kind of moving from here to there to to whatever, um, yeah, it's because we, we we chatted a while. But the personal development thing, you know, it, it's definitely hard. You know, it's it's weird in that in that industry. You know, it's I talk to people in the industry that are you know have shows that dwarf my show, and you know they feel the same idea. They feel alone a lot of times. Uh, they feel it's product driven, right? We have to sell you something, buy something. I mean, I said on the show, I'm I'm, I'm as guilty, right? You can buy the book, right? It, it's it's kind of a part of what it does, right? But it's like everybody's a DJ now, right? So for me, um, the show will always be and remains for me not about me telling you to buy the book or do it my way is really me living what I say in the book, right? Trying to be authentic is the idea is like, look, what I tell you is part of the, you know, living this way or which becomes your own way anyway. It's not like my step-by-step, but is putting it in practice, right? So for me, I it's competence, learning new things. So as I book new guests, right, we take suggestions from the tribe of change and other people. But for me, it's where my interest follows, right? There's like an inventory that I do uh, in the book. It's called the IDE inventory. So if I find a small interest in something, I look how much time I'm putting into it, right? Can I create experiences I'm, as I'm getting competent in whatever that topic is, hobby is, or thing is? So, you know, I find people along the way, videos or research or articles, things like that. And that's how I find people. And Tony actually, shit, he was, if you look all the way back, he's been on the show like four times. He may have been on the show more than anybody, um, but we haven't talked in a few months, but um you know, he, he's always bringing some inspiration, bringing some love, uh, never scared to just say it how he feels it, right? How he thinks it. And in the music industry, it's, I, got, I know a few people in it. And in, I think that dime he dropped about uh, Germany uh, for developing artists these days was pretty cool. So if you're developing artists, you know, whether you're a mixer, master, DJ, band, whatever, uh, apparently there's this thing in Germany, right? Where a lot of you're supported by a lot of, uh, government things where you're free to kind of do your thing. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it's like the rush of, uh, 
uh, I don't know, 76 or uh, out in 19 in San Francisco, right? Or something older, maybe the Austin rush. There was that Seattle grunge years as well. I don't know. Maybe there's something in Germany too. I don't know, but uh, it's a, it's a tough business. You know, he dropped a lot of points about not trying to make things for necessarily like, what would a marketer tell you, right? Are you making music? What's your target market? So if we shape the art that we do based around the target market, is the show that we do that that authentic? Or has it really been created and designed for a target market, right? There's films that do that. There's books that do that. And there's giant corporate machines that stand behind these personalities, behind these blogs, behind these brands. And, you know, how the machine is run on the size of the machine, if you will, masters how much product is sold, how much is needed to push. But, um you know, we, they create it based on, hey, here's what we've learned in our analytics and our research. Here's a market that's missing. Here's what they listen to. If we can pull this and I mean, that's you see that. Right. So I think, like I said on the podcast uh, earlier, is there's this wave of people online through social media, YouTube, et cetera, that are getting this bullshit filter right that they're able to be like ah, that picture's not real that video's not real uh that that person is walking in front of rented ferraris or they're pitching me another step-by-step right another if you follow my workout plan one two three or if you follow you see a lot of that and it's hard not to just build a cognitive dissonance to shut it out not just to go hey ah you know both of us tony and i both said you know the change is within the person and it's it's on you, you know, to make that change. That's that made a lot of why I stopped doing therapy within clinics because I couldn't see a future of saying, "Hey, here's how you change your life. Here's how I help you." When I know it's about the person making the choice. When you decide to make the choice to make the change to make things different in your life, basically, when you're decided to to say that, "Hey, the truth I've accepted is only that because I've accepted it." it kind of became hard, right? And, you know, I mental trained a specific area with people, but, you know, the book isn't even written, if you will, for specific people. Like, it's not for addiction or it's for people uh, to discover, I don't know, their authentic self, really. It's not a step-by-step. I don't tell you step one to do step two. It's you asking yourself questions. It's you revealing your own beliefs. A lot of people don't even know why they believe what they believe. So, I can't say that it's not it's not me showing you the way, so to speak. Right. So I don't belong in that group that says my way is the best way is the only way. I basically am saying the way that I found is this framework that you got to ask yourself these questions and apply this to find out your own way. You know, that's why I call it living your cognitive rampage. So when I do say I hope you're taking care of you and I hope you're living your cognitive rampage, I don't mean I hope you're living the one that I'm telling you to live. It's the one that you reveal when you're willing to put in the work and question you and do the hard stuff, which is really question you, you know, fix you, not those around you, not blame those around you, focusing more on an internal locus of control perspective of life, you know, doing the hard thing, which is truly questioning what you believe and even discovering what you believe. That's really what that means. So I hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your cognitive rampage. Thanks, Tony, for coming on the show. <clears throat> Man, excuse me. Love you, dude. Love you, everyone out in Australia, too. Shout out again to all my friends out there, all the Tribe of Change people uh, in Australia to New Zealand. Love you all. A um, couple updates I can tell you, though. The second revision of this book, the second edition, comes out in January. You'll never be able to buy this book 
like this again. Uh, we've cleaned it up, added some things, expanded on some theoretical perspective. But um, so this book will be limited edition. That's why I made it 10 bucks instead of 15. But the second edition will be out sometime in January. Um, aiming for the 17th, maybe a little earlier. It's hard uh, to really pinpoint it, you know, uh, since you're trying to kick it out the same time it gets done. But the second revision of the Cognitive Rampage will be out January. The audio book we, will also come out uh, around the same time as the second edition. And the, well, last chance that you can buy it like this um, will be done. So anyway, that's January. Dollar Mental Health Club is also coming back. Um, we finished the alpha test from June till about September. And then we pulled Dollar Mental Health Club down and it's coming back. We had to, we adjusted things. We learned some things from the alpha test. <clears throat> the beta test begins, uh, in January. We'll probably officially launch it in February, run it February to March, right into April. Um, but there's some new changes. Um, it's not targeted workouts. It's, it's, it's getting good. It's getting really good. You know, it's a slow grind. That's been the, uh, saying, uh, for me and for us around uh, the Cognitive Cave over the last couple of weeks, really, has been, it's a slow grind, right? It's, <clears throat> sometimes I, I said the other night, uh, somebody asked me how the podcast, how the, you know, everything's going. And I say, like, I feel like I'm trying to cut through a diamond mine with a spork. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just scraping and you just, you keep going, right? And you keep going. And if it's something you love, you know, you can keep scraping, even if it is just a spork through a diamond mine, right? But I'm going to get through there eventually. But Anybody else, <clears throat> man, excuse me. Anybody else, I urge you just keep going. The Dollar Mental Health Club's coming out. We're just trying to, not just, we will be providing a paradigm shift in mental health. And what I mean by that is 60% of the United States, give or take, is uninsured, right? So they have no medical coverage, essentially. They have uh, emergency rooms to visit. The last thing they're paying for is mental health help, right? So what we are doing with the Dollar Mental Health Club is a bringing that to people, bringing people real mental health training. That's what we call it. It's not therapy. We're not talking about your childhood. We're not dealing with diagnosis and prescriptions. It's mental health training. We practice in the present, right? And we're going to have specialists all kinds, right? It's going to be crazy, but it's all a dollar a minute. That's it. Like, and you pick how long you want to do a session. No, you don't have to go to a waiting room, nothing. And it's just trying to get people something, you know, something to where they can begin to, you know, grow, take care of their mental health, right? Our physical health many times reflects our mental health a lot of times. So people work on their physical so much and wonder why they transition. They go up and down, they get healthy, they get unhealthy, right? I'm, I would venture to say because the mental health needs some training. And so the way we do that is offer strategies, right? This isn't like a bitch session where you're going to get on and be like, hey, my life, oh, shit, it's sorry that I hate my aunt, whatever. That's not what this is, right? It's not crisis management either. You're not calling Dollar Mental Health Club because you're in a dark state. It's the idea of trying to learn a strategy that you can apply, not somebody giving you a lot of hype motivation, right? Well, you know, talking about things that really you can't apply. But it's getting real strategies, real things. Here, try this tool, implement this, practice in the present. You know, things that counselors, psychologists use with their clients and patients that they're taught, that we were taught, of me really saying, here is it, here's wrapped up in a tool strategy you can use right now. And it's like a dollar a minute, seriously. So like it's like 15 bucks for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, right? And what we're finding in the research is people that do have insurance even. You know, your copay for to see a mental health counselor, social workers, you know, psychologist even can range from good plans, 25 bucks or so, 20 with really good plans up to like 50 bucks. 
So at 50 bucks, two weeks out, once a week, right? And it can, it's, and you got to drive there. So add gas, add your time. It's expensive. And Dollar Mental Health Club, it's going to be an app as we start to develop. So it's app-based and web-based. But it's bringing that help to anybody too, right? So in January, not only are we bringing on mental health trainers or mental trainers, um, we're bringing on people that are helpers, right, that want to um, we'll mail you a T-shirt and some cards and stuff. And with those cards, what you're able to do is if you know somebody that needs to talk to somebody, not in a desperate crisis mode, but, you know, could utilize not therapy, not counseling, but strategies. Maybe they don't read books a lot, right, to where you can get it. People don't have time. But it's that kind of place where you can get strategies. And if you want to be one of those people, you know, just email us. Let us know. We'll mail you a shirt and some cards. And, you know, it's 60 percent United States really is uninsured. And. I'm venturing to say that they're not seeking the mental health help and it's expensive and practitioners on the other side. There's so many out there. The insurance has got you running through mazes. It, it gets ridiculous. So it's a paradigm shift. I'm, I'm passionate. As you see, I'm enthusiastic about dollar mental health club. Um, it's how we're just trying to bring some help and some mental training, some coaching, some tools, you know, to people that may not think they could ever get that. Right. People a lot of times look at mental trainers or psychologists or therapists, which is not what we're doing, but as being this expensive thing to have in your life. And Dollar Mental Health Club is trying to not make it so make it where you can have some of the best in the business and specialists at, at very certain topics. We have very specific topics and specialists there that you can talk to for you know 15 bucks a week, 30 bucks a week. And when you're free. So that's coming in January. So. That's what's just been, it's just a lot, right? So between the revision of the book, the audiobook recording, Dollar Mental Health Club making a change and coming out and, and revisions, just so much going on. It's just a lot. And new guests, right? I could flip it around for you real quick. That's the board. I oh, see. I can't show you real quick. That's top secret stuff. It's a long list though of, yeah, that's like, man, I can't wait. I can't wait. I get excited, but I've already explained it to you. Now you know why. I say, I hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your cognitive rampage. Love you.